The following is a paid program and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff or management of visionary-related entertainment. Aloha Maui. Welcome to The Solar Coaster. This is episode 167. We had a chance to sit in on the Hawaii Energy Conference 2020. This was the first virtual conference that uh, the crew over at MEDB and uh, Frank DiRigo and Doug McLeod and all, all the whole team over there put together. And it was about three or three hours or so, a handful of panels yesterday. Got a lot out of it. Uh, I got a chance to to sit down and kind of do that throughout the day. Uh, Jay, it's different though than what we experienced back in our, uh, you know, our real live meets at the, the Mac, of course. Yeah, I mean, the, the former Maui Energy Conference, now the Hawaii Energy Conference, has been growing year over year. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous event that really brings the focus in on, on the state of Hawaii and what we're, what we're doing in the energy sector, specifically for renewable energies. Um, always a tremendous, wealth of knowledge. Um, the, interesting, the interesting thing here, of course, is that we've been, as we've been talking about, all these shows are going virtual. And so it was a very different experience, uh, but no less impactful. I, I was listening to the uh, the jobs session this morning, and it's just incredible. We're going to get a chance to listen to that later. So stick around for that. Yeah. And this is a really cool topic. Uh, I neglected, of course, to introduce Jason Verkart, uh co-host, and Brian <laughs> Thomas as well. Uh, Aloha, Brian. Thank you for joining us today. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, this is a, a just and equitable transition that the renewable energy transition is kind of the theme and content here. So we're going to get a chance to hear from some pretty uh, knowledgeable and influential people, uh, the least of which is not uh, Scott Siu, the CEO of Hawaiian Electric and a great panel. There were about four panels in this uh, program yesterday, and uh, we are going to be able to focus a little bit on the solar and job sector, which I think is great. So uh, looking forward to a great show today. Fellas, let's jump right into this and get our housekeeping underway. Okay, folks, we are The Solar Coaster, a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. It can be found Fridays at 1.05 p.m. on Ko'oi, 1110 a.m. Also some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry www.solar-coaster.com is where you can listen live if you're outside that broadcast area. Uh, we also do streaming, YouTube, social media, blog posts, and all that stuff all on the solar-coaster.com website. Uh, most importantly, though, is the back catalog of all our old shows. If you are interested in renewable energies, getting solar for your home, electric vehicles, etc., etc., ad nauseum, we have talked about it <laughs> at this point. Um, go on the solar-coaster.com website and and uh, look up the shows by topic, what really is applicable to you. Uh, get your information, get your quotes, and make sure you're, you're an informed consumer when you go out to do this stuff. You can also get on our mailing list. And finally, the um, podcast networks all carry the Solar Coaster, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. And from what I heard, um, uh, was it SiriusXM has uh, purchased Stitcher. So we're going to be on SiriusXM now. No kidding. That's exciting. We're right alongside uh, Howard Stern. I love it. Hey, okay. Well, <laughs> I will say this. Uh, we are getting some great feedback uh, via email these days, you know, a couple times a week. 
And apparently people still think we're in the solar installation business, which we're not. Uh, people are asking us to come out and give them quotes on solar systems. We're happy to help out. We'll give you a call. Thank you for those emails and uh, try to give you some direction uh, about product equipment or about uh, good, you know, uh, installers that you can rely on here in Maui County. So thanks for those uh, that feedback. I want to also uh, give a shout out to our sponsors, Maui Office of Economic Development, the Kamai in the First Program, Fairwinds Wealth Management with Brian Thomas on the horn right here today, and then also Sundrum Solar doing some of the most innovative PVT solar thermal uh, heat sink technology systems on the planet. Okay, time for news and events, Jay. All right. Right away, um, Royal Dutch Shell and Enico are... Um, have been approved to build a large wind farm off the coast of the Netherlands in Holland. Um, that in and of itself is not really news. It's not even the biggest solar farm or wind farm out there. Um, but the interesting thing is this is going to be 18 and a half kilometers offshore, which is a lot, about a little more than 11 miles for, for folks in the U.S. Um, but they're going to have hydrogen production at the facility. And this is, this is the coolest thing I've seen in a while, uh, that they really are, um, they're in integrating battery storage and uh, hydrogen production on site, which means way out in the ocean. And I, I immediately got this vision in my head of instead of having like oil, oil rigs out there, you would have like a hydrogen fueling station where I a big tank could pull up, I pump hydrogen <laughs> off, and, and actually have it. This is the best possible way to generate hydrogen. I actually had somebody ask the other day, well, why, why would we buy an electric vehicle with this big heavy battery when you can get hydrogen you can fuel up and i mean there's so many positive benefits for having hydrogen and i'm not so sure if hydrogen vehicles are are necessarily the way of the future but you definitely want to make sure if you're doing that that your hydrogen is coming from a clean source I mean, if you're just burning coal to make the hydrogen then it makes no sense <laughs> you know for sure and some of the uh, earlier um hydrogen uh, ex I guess experiments or new projects uh, are out of Japan right now. And those initial hydrogen uh, projects, they're in homes throughout Japan, right? This mm -hmm. is happening actually not with green hydrogen. This is happening with hydrogen that has some relationship to, uh, to, 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 oil and fuel yeah in, so, in in japan it's 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 all fossil fuel now they've shut down their nuclear reactor program remember they're just mm. starting to, to bring some back online so i love it i love the idea of a hydrogen ship pulling up to this big uh offshore wind farm and getting a bunch of green hydrogen and then moving it out it's very cool stuff <laughs> i think you get another article yeah. jay which one do you want to should hit? be really neat and then i i wanted to have like a kind of feel-good piece um the christian science monitors actually did an interview with this uh, with a, a lady in kenya um women in kenya who had right before the lockdown had, had or even right, right after the lockdown, um, she purchased a solar panel. They say a solar panel. I'm pretty sure it's a self-contained unit with a panel, an inverter, and a battery, etc. Um, but she, to replace her old um, kerosene generator, and it's become this like center point of of her little community there. Um, she was actually turned down. She applied for in 2016 to get connection to the larger grid um, in Kenya. They have turned it down because she's too far away. It's basically like when, when the cable company comes up and says, you, you live too far from our trunk line and you have to pay for 16 telephone poles to bring the cable TV to your house. You know, that, that happens. Um, so the same, same kind of deal. Um, and so she couldn't get on the grid. Now that this year has actually turned out to be a good thing because it forced her to buy the solar unit. But um, also Kenya's have massive amounts of blackouts. They had an extremely difficult rainy season um, this past 
May. Uh, I think they're the entire nationwide, they were out for six hours. Like the entire country was in a blackout situation for six hours. And they've had different blackouts, like 10 hours or longer uh, across the nation. So um, she's been able to, after, after losing her job, she was able to take this solar unit and charging a minimal amount to, to friends and neighbors be able to generate some money from having this solar panel by charging people's phones and stuff when, when they were all in blackout. <laughs> so I think it was, was a really, really well positioned uh, purchase <laughs> on her part. That's excellent. That's excellent. I mean, it really puts to uh, puts to light the, the the value of solar across you know a, a, a lot of different levels, right? So I love yeah. seeing these kinds of articles. Hey, Brian, you got something going on here. You want to talk about warranties a little bit? Yeah. So in uh, PVMagazine.com, there's an article about solar warranty risk, and I'm going to hit just the bullet points here. And it's more applicable to big projects, but it's also applicable to residential. But it talks about the various risks of the panels manufacturer uh, and the panel is not working over a 25 to 30 year period, but I encourage people to go look at it. But the basic gist of it is to get the warranty uh, before you install the panels. So get that at the early stage. And there's also the uh, warranty of the manufacturer, but usually there's insurance behind the manufacturer in case that manufacturer goes out of business. So yeah. in this day and age of solvency, and we look at Haleakala Solar, uh, those are things you want to have in place beforehand, and they're easy questions to ask. And in fact, they're questions that the citizens may want to confirm that Hawaiian Electric is doing in light of the fact that that uh, PPA agreement, in my opinion, wasn't well written when they had to come back to the rate payers. So, oh, just some right. good... that earlier RFP phase one. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think those are reasonable questions to ask, and the article does a good job about talking about how, because uh, it comes from a reinsurance company, which not to get too deep in the weeds, they're smarter at assessing risk because that is their business. So I encourage you to go look at it if you're getting a system, uh, pbmagazine.com. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I remember the earliest days back about 10 years ago in the residential solar uh, business when people were just getting acquainted with the idea of solar panels, that was something that we were talking about. And I haven't really talked about it very much since, but double-backed uh, manufacturers' warranties in case those, com those companies go out of business and some have over the years. So that those are good things to, to reconsider at this stage of the game. Okay, and, thank you. Yep. Well, yeah, just real quick, I, I forgot to add. Uh, Munich RE has a list of, manufacturers that they've approved uh, and it says buy panels from manufacturers that do that we approve and that we've shown that demonstrate that they have a good warranty and they can back it up. Very good. Something important to keep a look at. Okay. So for this seventh Hawaii energy conference, uh, imagining a just recovery, what would that look like for the grid? I'm going to read some of the uh, information they have in their brief overview. Uh, the Hawaii energy conference understands our energy systems do not exist in a vacuum. COVID-19 has laid bare the stark reality of pre-existing inequalities in our society. The elderly, the poor and the mi and minorities have suffered tremendously in the pandemic's wake. Peaceful, sometimes violent forms of protest make it painful painfully evident that an equitable or just recovery is the only path forward to heal our communities. Not everything is bad news. The planet experienced an unexpected respite from air pollution and a slowdown in carbon loading to the atmosphere, but the lessened impact to our ecosystem came at an extraordinary economic cost. As we move forward, what strategies will policymakers and regulators use to achieve results that benefit broad swaths of society? How will utilities and companies in the energy sector con contribute? 
So this is the overview, this is the intro uh, to this seventh uh, Hawaii Energy Conference virtual show. We had about three hours, uh, there were four panels, uh, and we're gonna get a chance to hear from the keynote, which was Scott CEO, President and CEO of Hawaiian Electric Company, just after our commercial break, and then we'll be able to go in and listen to one of the panels, an excerpt from one of the panels, which was Solar Jobs, and that's a couple of our friends that have been on the show before, moderated by Will Giese. So let's head over to our commercials, come right back with Scott CEO. Come Aina First is an exciting new program supported by the County of Maui Office of Economic Development to bring our local community together during this difficult time for businesses. To see all of the Maui County special offers, visit KamaAinaFirst.com. Or if you're a local business owner, then share your great offer for free. Visit KamaAinaFirst.com for a participant registration form. And join the Kamaaina First Facebook group to stay connected. Kamaaina First, locals supporting locals. Enduro Shield glass protection is the cost-effective way to help protect your PV investment, reduce cleaning needs, and help maximize power production. EnduroShield prevents etching, helps reduce soiling and debris buildup. At only two molecules thick, EnduroShield is optically clear, UV transparent. A one-time application provides up to 10 years of durability. To learn more about the coating, visit EnduroShield.com solar. You can request factory application or on-site by certified technicians like the team at Perfectly Clear. In Hawaii and for on-site applications in Western U.S., visit PerfectlyClear.glass or call Gary at 808-280-9422. That's 808-280-9422. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. So um, I, I just want to say, first of all, a Aloha mai uh, hello to everybody. And, um, you know, I really want to thank, thank the conference organizers for giving me the chance to introduce myself to everybody, at least in my new role. I, I was looking at the, at the attendee list earlier, and I know so many of you, and we've worked uh, closely over the years on so many different things. So, um, uh, again, thank you for giving me this chance to open up the conversation. So when I had to really think about the issues of, of equity, one of the first things that I recalled was a number of years ago, um, hearing a presentation about urban design in a European city. And the central tenet of this city's approach was what they called the 880 design principle or something like that. And what it meant was that in thinking about how they laid out their sidewalks, or crossing zones or, or the timing of their pedestrian walk signals, if they could make it safe and workable for an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old, then they were pretty sure that it would serve all of the city's residents well. So I really take to heart the theme of today's conference, which is about a just and equitable energy system. We here at Hawaiian Electric, we are, of course, a regulated utility company. What that means is we have an obligation to serve all of our customers in a fair and a non-discriminatory manner. And so we have a common residential energy rate on Maui, one for our Oahu residential customers and, and so on. And everyone who wants electric service gets served according to a standard set of rules. Unlike those signs you see in some shops around town, uh, we do not and cannot reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. 
So fairly serving all customers is central to how we design and run our programs and offer um, just and reasonable rates. All of this under the watchful eyes of our Public Utilities Commission and of course guided by our state consumer advocate. And all of this is done in accordance with state laws and really a hundred plus years of regulatory policy. But when you think about that, have we truly built a just and equitable energy system? So you think back to that city with the 880 design standard. By my math, what they could have done instead is they could have averaged those two city residents and designed the city to serve a 44-year-old person. But what might that have resulted? Uh, you could have had a pedestrian crossing signal that lasts half the time it takes for an elderly person to, to uh, cross the street safely. Uh, you could have had a building design code that places a doorknob higher than a child can reach. So you get the idea. So who are the most vulnerable energy users? Who are the ones we need to focus our attention on in the midst of this pandemic as we transform our energy system to one that's decarbonized and decentralized and more resilient? Who are the ones who do not sit in our energy policy discussions or our technical conferences or our legislative hearings as we design the energy system of Hawaii's future? So my premise is that it's, it's simply not good enough anymore to design for the generic or the average user. To borrow a phrase from design thinking, uh, for those of you who are familiar with design thinking, we need to design for the extreme user. So this is the user who has special needs or who can't keep pace with the average user. If we keep our focus on the average user, in these times of COVID-19, and rising bankruptcies and unemployment, our existing energy policies and our system will leave too many people behind. So the pandemic has made it clear that equity and opportunity and participation are as important elements of our successful transition to renewable energy as any fuel source or technology. As we, as we work our way through this crisis, I've challenged our Hawaiian Electric team to lead with empathy and to consider the level of anxiety and even hopelessness that a lot of people are experiencing and to focus on the extreme user. I've also challenged myself and our leadership team to think outside of our traditional role of keeping the lights on, to be bold, to be creative, to come up with ideas for strengthening our economy and helping us be the better Hawaii we can all imagine. So we can only be successful. Hawaiian Electric can still only be successful if our communities thrive. So one of our objectives must be to ensure that equity and opportunity move to the front, that they aren't just nice to have elements, but that they become foundational to everything we do from advanced rate design to siting of projects. It's not enough anymore to simply say we'll all benefit from cleaner, cheaper renewables someday the duration and the depth of our current economic downturn may be unlike anything we've ever experienced. So someday isn't soon enough. So the leaders of Hawaiian Electric are, are looking at what bold strategies we can use to benefit the most people the most quickly. And who can we work with to make change happen, including a lot of people at this conference? We're not in these discussions by ourselves, by the way. 
We're talking to our Public Utilities Commission. We're talking to folks at the State Energy Office. We're talking to folks out there in the industry, in the field, and of course, we're talking to customers. It wasn't that long ago when many of us here today were talking about the challenges of getting Hawaii's clean energy initiative going and sustaining it. Uh, sure, we had our share of disagreements, and of course, we made some missteps along the way. But in the end, the people who are at this conference and many others, we, we set a remarkable societal goal. And through trial and error, and yes, some conflict, we kept moving forward for the good of our state and for future generations. So consider what we accomplished in the 12 years since the HCEI was launched. We went from less than 10% RPS, Renewable Portfolio Standard, to over 30%. We have the highest rooftop solar penetration in the country by far. Cutting edge deployment of new technologies like solar plus energy storage. Yes, we still have a long way to go. But what if we could bring that same ingenuity and resolve that pushed us to success in renewables to ensuring that our future is a fair and equitable and practical one, that everyone gets something out of it. So we know that even as we've seen success in renewables and transforming our energy system, there's a gap. And this gap is being pushed wider and wider by the pandemic. It's a gap that en enables more affluent people, more affluent customers to essentially zero out their bills for electricity and gasoline while low-income working families struggle to pay for the basics. It's a gap that has historically placed a really high value on completing projects that are driven and serve state energy policy and the generic good, but sometimes with little involvement by the communities where projects are cited and with little consideration of localized impacts. It's a gap that seems to champion the importance of the self instead of the importance of being part of a community. We have to summon the same spirit, that collaborative spirit that took Hawaii to a leadership role in clean energy to close this gap that isolates and leaves behind the extreme user. We have to be willing to examine our century old one size fits all approach to our energy system and our policy and regulatory framework. For example, communities that host renewable energy projects are increasingly saying, look, if we have to give something up, make it worth our, our while. Um, give us a break on electric rates. About 15 years ago, we proposed this idea when we planned to build a new biofilled power plant in West Oahu. We wanted to give neighbors a reduced rate. We were commended for pitching a new approach, but it was turned down. The law doesn't allow that. There's no mechanism for treating customers who live in one place differently from customers in another place. That would go against one of the fundamentals of utility regulation, which is the design for the average customer, the average community. But we're in a different world than we were in 2005. We are in a different world. Everyone in this conference recognizes that. Equity isn't just about money. Communities want to be involved. They want to be consulted up front, not after the deal is done. That was something else we did when we wanted to build that power plant. We asked the community. That approach has evolved in 15 years to the point where we're talking to communities even when there's no project on the table. In 2017, Puerto Rico was devastated by Hurricane Maria. I'm, I'm interested to hear some, some thoughts from those in the conference from Puerto Rico. 
The damage done was a wake-up call for the utility industry as a whole and for Hawaiian Electric. We took a hard look at our system and we zeroed in on the windward side of Oahu, the Ko'olaupoko area, which basically goes from Kaneohe through Kailua to Waimanalo. We serve this part of the island with three transmission lines that cross the steep Ko'ola mountain range. There are no redundant lines coming from other directions. There's no power generation there. Only three transmission circuits on steel towers that you can only access by helicopter. If there's any major damage to these lines or towers from a hurricane and above, we, and, and we're struggling to get those uh, fixes in place, about 80,000 people in these communities and another 50,000 more in East Honolulu could have a sustained power outage. We began working with a diverse group from the Ko'olaupoko community to develop a resilient strategy. But very importantly, we brought in that discussion to talk not only about infrastructure resilience, but also community resilience. We erased the board, so to speak, of any preconceived ideas that we, the utility, had about power plants or transmission lines, and everyone just talked. So we talked about protecting our kupuna, our elders, during a storm. We talked about the cultural and environmental treasures of the area that needed protection. And yes, we talked about infrastructure like distributed energy and energy storage and roads and water and communications. This is a plan being built from the ground up by the people who live there. It's not a utility plan. So our role is as a convener. We're bringing people and public agencies and critical infrastructure together. In fact, I would often open the meetings by, by likening our gatherings to a potluck. Hawaiian Electric, we're just simply hosting that potluck, but everyone is bringing something to share and contribute. The Ko'olaupoko community will ultimately decide what the best approach is, and this may very well be a set of projects done over multiple years. But the difference will be that once something is built, it'll be clear that the project is there to serve the community, even if it also serves a higher level policy purpose, like producing renewable energy and displacing fossil fuels. So do you see the difference? We flipped our normal approach on its head. Instead of doing it top down, from state energy policy to a generic RFP to projects that land in communities, we've worked it from the direction of solving for the needs of the community that's, that is the extreme user. And then using that to direct the projects or RFP that will come down the road. We take care of the extreme user and we end up taking care of the broader users. These experiences have, have, all these experiences have influenced our approach to our most recent RFP that we issued for renewable energy. We put in hard requirements for project developers to disclose project information to the nearby community earlier in the process and ahead of finalizing their project designs, ahead of our negotiation of a power purchase agreement. And the developers were required to submit plans on how they would meaningfully engage the communities. So this is a big improvement over the way the process worked even a few years ago. Now, what would be even more optimal is to have community input as we design our RFPs, something we're trying out on Molokai. So about five years ago, our company developed seven planning principles to serve as our guideposts. The one that I like the best says, 
the renewable energy transformation must include everyone. That's what equity looks like to me. When we can design for the extreme users on the downside of the curve and no one gets left behind. Scott, could we ask you to pause so on whole, that very thoughtful note? And we have a couple of questions that have come in from the audience and, and we're hoping that you might have time to address a couple of those. Absolutely. You know, the, the first one that's Yeah, I was just going to say thank you. <laughs> well, thank you Go for ahead, spending your, your time with us. And, and honestly, it, it's unimaginable 20 years ago that the head of an IOU would have, you know, made that presentation and, and, and people in our audience should understand it was your choice for the topic. Um, but but, but I, I want to get to the question. So we do have uh, a couple of questions for you. First one asks, how has the utilities load changed? Are people, you know, with people staying at home, with these hotels closed, could you give a description and, and have you all made a conclusion? Is that load shift going to last for over a year? Well, so, yeah, there has been a pretty dramatic change in, in load. Um, and as you can imagine, with the economic, economic downturn and basically the shuttering of our tourism industry, the large resort hotels aren't operating, operating, and of course, all the commercial businesses that normally support tourism, really, really, that's where we've seen such a, a, a steep decline. Um, what we have seen, especially is in on islands like Maui, uh, where there is a higher concentration of tourist-related activities, the load decline on Maui has gone down even more, more severely than, for example, on Oahu. Um, Oahu, we have a more, uh, slightly more diverse economy. We have a lot of uh, military spending and government spending. So even though the load has dropped on Oahu, it's not as severe as what's happened on Maui. Um, what's also happened is we've seen a rise in residential energy use. And that's really tied to everybody working remotely, lots more people working at home. Um, on some weekend days when the load is pretty much residential, um, and again, this is primarily um, islands like Maui, um, the minimum daily load has, we've, we've set new records for minimum daily loads. Um, do, do I expect that this is gonna continue for another year? Well, again, it all ties back to the reopening of the economy here. Um, I don't think, like many others, I don't think that we in Hawaii will ever get back to where we were pre-COVID. I think there's going to be, you know, systemic changes in our economies, and uh, yeah. So we're, we're 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 sort of in a wait and see mode, just like everybody else. Thank you, Scott. I think Frank has a question as well that he wants to ask. Uh, we have a question from the audience. What are your thoughts on community solar as an option for those who can't afford rooftop solar? Yeah, so community solar, so um, Hawaii is really going going all in on community solar. And, uh, you know, this is something that is being driven very strongly by our Public Utilities Commission, by our energy policy makers, and of course, um, you know, the solar industry as, as well as the utility. Really, the, the, the beauty of a community solar program is just like the question suggests. If you don't own a rooftop, um, let's say you are renting, uh, renting your, your, your home or you live in a condominium. If we can deploy solar systems, small solar farms, rooftop, you know, wh wherever it makes sense, 
And then we allow folks who live in those types of rental homes or condos to be able to basically buy in to those community solar farms. That's how it basically works. So we're opening up access essentially to the benefits of renewable energy. And we're doing it in a way that you know really can spur on a lot of uh, innovation, uh, open up a lot more development opportunity for solar. Um, so there's a lot of wins. Of course, you know the the devil is in the details. Um, it can be fairly complicated. So I think that's what we're we're all working through right now is really designing a well well thought out community solar program. A lot of opportunity. Okay, guys, that was uh, CEO of Hawaiian Electric, Scott Sio. Uh, great to hear him. Uh, great to have him at the Hawaii Energy Conference and to be talking about how they're making decisions about energy in the future and making sure that everyone's a part of this energy transition, being able to participate in this in a, in a positive way. He also touched on community solar and uh, was excited about the opportunity that's presented there. Now we're gonna jump into one of the panels. This is the Solar Jobs panel, an excerpt from that. Um, the executive director of the Hawaii Solar Energy Association leads this discussion on how jobs in solar and other parts of the clean energy sector can contribute to a just recovery. This is Will Giese. We also have Scott Glenn, Chief Energy Officer, Hawaii State Energy Office. Don Lippert from the CEO, the CEO of Elemental Accelerator. And Odette Mucha, who's the uh, Regulatory Director of Southeast Vote Solar. So we'll check that out now. You know, I wrote an op-ed with uh, my intern at the time, Allison, uh, back in April or May about jobs and uh, jobs in solar specifically. But again, for this panel, I think we can expand it to just behind the meter resources and renewable jobs in general. So think bigger. But one of the things that I did to prepare for that op-ed was I read, reread um, FDR's speech that he gave at the Democratic National Convention before he was elected um, president, where he was talking about, you know, the need for just, I guess to use Elizabeth Warren's <laughs> term, big structural change, but way back in the, the 20s and 30s at the time. And I was thinking about that now, how, you know, we have this, this shock to the system across the world, but in Hawaii, especially where, you know, our economy is primarily based on things like tourism and tourism just isn't happening. And we've seen the impacts of that. And so one of the things that I've been thinking about, and maybe you all can comment on, is, you know, what does Hawaii look like in the next year or two years where we build an economy that's based on things like clean energy jobs? Um, you know, what are the steps that we have to take to get there? And what are the, I guess, reckonings that we need to have as a, as a community, as a, as a state, uh, to take those steps to get to the economy that we'd all like to see if we very well don't have any large amount of tourism for the next year or two. Maybe I'll push this one first to Dawn, um, partly because I think your your organization is really future focused, um, and then we'll go from there. Sure, yeah, I can provide sort of an initial thoughts there. I think um, large structural change is a really important piece of this. I think the other thing to like rec to recognize and as we talk about equity in particular is that equity does not lift everyone in the same way. There are absolutely people who are benefiting from current power structures who um, will have to give something up and will experience loss as a result of having more equitable policies and more equitable distribution. So I think that 
you know, it's interesting, like kind of, I think Scott's point around, you know, we now sort of agree that we need to go to our renewable energy goals. We agree we cannot compromise our climate change goals. And we agree that um, there's, it's technically feasible to get there. I think now there's a general agreement about sort of equity, but where those trade-offs actually happen and what they look like is a much more difficult conversation. Um, and I think we are still really grappling with that as a community. And so some of the work we're trying to do at Uplift Hawaii is to bring some of those voices in and, um, you know, Ina Loha and others are, are really active in this as well to think about how we actually make those trade-offs. Um, so I think that's one, one piece I just wanted to share. The other piece I think about what, what it will look like in the future is that we have to get, I think, much more flexible about how we think about Hawaii's place in the global economy. So when I'm thinking about it from an innovation perspective, um, we just uh, had a little article in Hawaii Business from Richard Matsui, who's the CEO of KWH Analytics, one of our portfolio companies. He's a Punahou grad that moved home just a couple months ago because he realized if he gets up early, he can actually run his growing, successful solar startup um, from Hawaii um, and have be near his family um, and have his, his baby spend time with the family here. And so I think we have an enormous opportunity right now to think differently about how to bring in talent, whether it's um, entrepreneurs, innovators, board members, um, technical folks to Hawaii um, from the technology industry, from other industries who can work from here and think about Kama'aina come home in a completely different way than we have before. Because typically it's been that the job is the hurdle to getting people back to Hawaii or living in Hawaii. If that is no longer the case, there's a very different um, economic picture that we could start painting around having some of these really talented um, Kama'aina or talented workers coming to Hawaii and finding community and making their home here. So I think that's one thing I would share. And then on the flip side, it's also so much easier to access capital and talent from Hawaii than it ever has been before. I mean, we're very actively engaging with folks all over Asia and all over the mainland. Um, most of the funding from Elemental Accelerator um, comes from you know, Asia and the mainland, other places, and we bring that to Hawaii. And it has been a real benefit in some ways that everyone's virtual in terms of being able to connect resources to Hawaii. So I think those are just two thoughts of like how, you know, talent can come to Hawaii that might not have been able to before. And Hawaii can now access talent from offshore that we were not able to before. So I think we can be much more creative in our thinking here. So can I latch on to this equity question and let's think about maybe, you know, I obviously I think about myself a lot because who doesn't think about themselves? <laughs> you don't live in other people's brains, but you know, I, I run this uh, solar organization, but I live in an apartment and I don't have my own roof. Um, and my fiance uh, works in the food industry. And at the beginning of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, you know, she basically lost all of her hours uh, for a couple months. And then there's been a little buildup like that. But, you know, she has a bachelor's degree and she's uh, she has done baking for a while, but she could very well do other things. But you know, we wanted to get her involved in the economy, say that she lost her job or, or somebody that works in the tourism industry lost their job and, you know, wants to stay here in Hawaii and wants to work in an industry that's not tourism. You know, what are some pathways that the state or policymakers might create to get those jobs um, into the economy? And maybe, Scott, you can kind of tackle some ideas that you've been thinking about. Um, sure. We are looking at a couple different ways for how we can 
how we can address that. One of the, I think, things to start thinking about, you mentioned kind of the next one or two years. Um, structural change often takes a long time to really play out and manifest. You might make a change in one or two years have to pass before people really realize what's happened. And we look back and we say, oh, that was the change that led to our situation now. And so the way that the Energy Office has been thinking about this and engaging with others has been thinking about kind of three different buckets. What can we do in the next one or two years that can get people back to work? Um, what are kind of the more intermediate term, two to four years? And then what are those longer term things that we need to start doing now to get the payoff in five years or 10 years? And you know, focusing on the one or two years, uh, we're, what we're looking at, so the Department of Business, Economic Development and Tourism is uh, pending uh, the state budget finalization, is looking to roll out an internship program to bring on folks um, that are college graduates, high school graduates, or displaced workers, especially from the tourism industry, who are looking to get basically kind of earn while you learn experience. We don't want to call it necessarily an internship because you actively are working, it's for all ages, and um, trying to help use some of the CARES money to let folks get into, get a foot into these industries that we want to promote and develop experience and talent for. Clean energy first and foremost, but also the other pieces of the Aloha Plus Challenge, if you're familiar with that. Um, you know, Looking at the other, other goals that the state has too, especially food production, agriculture, how can we get folks into these industries? What comes after this program and the CARES Act money finishes is what we're working on now so that we can provide real job pathways for people who were in tourism, for example, get an internship with a clean energy company, get some experience, and then once the CARES Act program wraps up, have an opportunity to now use that experience in a new pathway for themselves. That's probably first and foremost with us. Um, we're also looking at the development pipeline for ECO's phase one, phase two projects, and what kind of hiring that and skills will they need? And we're also looking at the labor suppliers, the unions, the colleges, and the different uh, apprenticeship programs to see, um, are they producing the skills that will be needed for these projects that are coming over the next four or five years? And can we help with skill matching, labor supply matching? So there's... Um, there's a lot, I think, in the works that will be coming up in the next few months that have been being put together over the last couple of months while we were trying to figure out how we deal with COVID and position ourselves to do something once we're ready to move forward. Great. Can I understand the point from Scott real quick on that one too? Because I think this, um, the upcoming sort of renewable energy development and what's happening in our economy really um, deserves sort of an exclamation point because as we have at least three and a half billion dollars of investment in solar and storage and renewable energy products over the next couple of years alone. That's like our own mini stimulus and how we actually use that to create on-ramp and opportunity is a, sort of an amazing opening for, for our state. So I think you know this is exactly the right time to be thinking about it and for people to really kind of be leaning in from whatever sort of position they're in, whether it's university, business, government, et cetera, to figure out how we take advantage of this. Yeah, so, okay. Well, I, this panel's a little bit lightning fast, but I do wanna ask Odette for kind of a, a national perspective, because I think one of the great things about this conference in the past, and, and now especially when we have so many people who are able to see it, is that we can 
Hawaii can kind of co-opt ideas from all over the place. And Odette, I'm wondering, you know, you lived here in Kailua, but now I think you're based on the East Coast, but you're working for an organization that deals with solar policy and renewable energy policy all across the United States. So I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, what are some ideas that maybe you're seeing in other places that would be applicable in a recovery for Hawaii? Yeah, thanks, Joel. I think in so many ways, Hawaii is leading uh, when it comes to solar, when it comes to grid modernization. Um, so in a lot of ways, we all are looking towards you and you all have a chance to, to set the stage for the rest of us. Um, of course, California um, and some of the other uh, c commissioners that were on earlier are great examples. Um, and when it comes to jobs, what what strikes me as the very challenging opportunity that perhaps you all as leaders can um, tackle is manufacturing. You know, we're mandating solar to be on every new roof. Well, how do we make those Hawaii-made solar panels or even, um, you know, the software that goes into them um, and or the widgets? You know, I think that um, is perhaps one of those longer-term projects that can actually um, start to develop um, some new jobs that, like Don was saying, could, will bring people to Hawaii. Um, and I think there's, there's massive opportunity there. Great. Well, I know we've only got a few minutes left, but I do want to look at a couple questions. So here's a good question from Jamie Farron. Um, and I think this kind of follows on a little bit of what Scott was talking about uh, related to kind of industry outreach and partnerships. But the question is, are there any plans to create academic or industry partnerships in order to fund research related to renewable energy um, here in Hawaii, for instance, biometric or metamaterials for new solar panels or anything on the horizon that might create economic development? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. You know, Department of Energy has been funding a lot of research. They've been putting out a lot of um, proposal requests lately. And I think Hawaii Natural Energy Institute and NELHA in particular, as two academic centers, have been looking to do the kind of research projects that you're talking about. So I think there is a kind of basic material science, basic energy science work going on through the university system. And I'm not personally as familiar with how much um, industry is tied in with that research, but I don't think that there's a resistance to working um, that kind of collaboration. Don might have more insight to that than, than I do. Don? Yeah, I think we see a lot of um, potential with universities and then also with uh, research institutions like NALHA. So one of our portfolio companies, for instance, Blue Ocean Barns is opening up their um, sort of production of red seaweed at Nelha. Red seaweed when fed to cattle does like a little additive or sort of a spice in their feed can reduce methane by up to 80%. So they're looking at ramping up that significantly, probably hiring 100 people over the next couple years there. So I think there's a lot of opportunities in agriculture that we're seeing in particular um, beyond just sort of the energy sector. Um, in our latest application round, we got about 800 applicants to the accelerator from 59 countries all over the world, a lot from Hawaii. And um, more than half of the, or about half of the ones in Hawaii um, have an agriculture nexus and we're involved in agriculture. So I think there's a lot going on here in agriculture innovation. That's where we've seen some of the university and academic institutions be the most active. Um, but there's certainly more we can do. I would say specifically around having university technologies and innovations sort of spin out into the community. That's where there's a lot of 
focus from kind of the UH Ventures group and a lot of potential that we've really um, haven't even tapped into yet as much as we could. Great. I see Doug McLeod has joined us. <laughs> well, I am, and you guys have had some really interesting things to say. You know, it kind of makes me feel a little more optimistic about Hawaii than when we started this panel. And Odette, thank you for, for your words as well. But yeah, we're, we're getting ready to kind of move on. But if you guys want to wrap up, you have another minute here. Go, go ahead, Will, please. Sure. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll wrap us up. And, and I wanted to first thank, uh, you know, Odette and Scott and Don for taking time out of their days to come and talk, even though the panel was short. You know, I've had some conversations with the three of you together and individually, and I, I do feel optimistic about all this. And it's a, it's a very interesting time. It's a tough time for all of us. And, and I was thinking this morning about how, you know, I'm dealing with it economically, I'm dealing with it personally, and we all are kind of going on a strange journey together. But it's very encouraging to see folks like you all um, working very hard to not only maintain, but accelerate the goals that we have in a time when it's, it's hard to think about what is coming tomorrow or next week. Um, so I'm excited to see how everything turns out. I'm excited to see what Don's company is bringing to the table, what Scott's organization, um, and how the state deals with all of this and where they're going to put their resources and time and how Odette kind of brings it all together. Um, and then hopefully my members can uh, hire a bunch of people and we can really build a sustainable, renewable economy. All right. Well, that was Will Giese and the uh, panel on solar jobs. What did you think, fellas? I'm thrilled to hear it all. I mean, I've, you know, I've been talking years for years and years about what would be the best possible uh, economic situation. Living in Hawaii is, is literally doing IT work or virtual work, um, exporting a specific uh, stream of bits <laughs> across the internet and bringing money into the state. I think, I think it's a great way to, a great way to operate. And the potential is, is really there and you can see it. Uh, it's just whether we're going to reach out and grab it or not. Yeah. Brian, you know, when, when I heard, heard Don talk about that $4 billion uh, territory of investment for this RFP phase two, the utility scale solar deployments all across the islands, uh, calling it a mini stimulus. I thought that was a great uh, insight. And I, you know, I myself am, have been exploring that and, and, and kind of really excited to know that this is real money coming into our community right now when it's super, when it's needed so badly. Right. Uh, very cool to see that. How about you, Brian? Well, yeah, and you know, Josh, um, it does fit into that sort of ESG, environmental social governance mandate. And that's what we talk about in the capital markets, but it can also occur as a stimulus by, by the, the government essentially. So um, it, it, it still is in that sort of mandate. It's just how it's administered is the, is the difference. I see, so almost like a terminology thing you mean, or like where it comes from? Yeah, in other words, um, so the ESG, is the investment industry's um, filtering uh, of investments that fit into that category. And of course, solar is a big one of that. And that's kind of one aspect of why those stocks are doing particularly excellent now. Um, but it also makes sense economically too. But you know, it, like if, if, it's, if it's driven from the government, that's not gonna involve the capital industries other than that they're gonna receive that money that comes in. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, it was also, I know Jay, you want to touch base a little bit on community solar. It's this language that we throw around and I, I, I even us in the industry, we don't really have a full understanding of how it's I think, going I think to a year and a half ago, we didn't know even what community solar is, but for those, <laughs> for those, for those that aren't quite sure, um, it's basically being able to own a piece. I mean, so many people have, are they're in rental situations. They don't own the building that they actually live in. Uh, it's a rental or a condo or whatever. You cannot put solar on that facility. So what do these people do to participate? And community solar is, is the concept that there can be a larger solar farm, a larger group of, <coughs> of panels, but it's all shared. So it's basically like a timeshare solar. <laughs> you buy a piece of this installation and you get credit for what that installation generates on your bill. And it can follow you around. So you can be you can be a renter and still have a piece of a community solar package. And that mm. goes that goes towards towards your bill. There you go. That was a uh, one of the first pieces that Scott, the CEO of Hawaiian Electric, talked about. And there certainly were other things. There we're talking about a, a new reboot to our economy with solar jobs, renewable energy-related jobs. We were talking about people being able to live here in other environments in the tech sector and rebooting the economy that way. Uh, a lot of different cool ideas. Talking about this, this stimulus or this ESG kind of stimulus in a sense as well for the uh, the four billion dollars of, of utility-scale solar farms. So got a lot out of that, folks. If you want to check it out, Hawaii energyconference.com. Uh, we'll be looking forward to a uh, hybrid or maybe a, uh, a, a an in-person event again in 2021. We can get everybody out here in Maui one more time, hopefully a year from now, or even if it's a year from now. Right? So, okay, folks, this has been the Solar Coaster. Uh, we are sponsored by Sundrum Solar, uh, the Maui Office of Economic Development, Kamaina First Program, and Fairwinds Wealth Management. Thank you, Brian Thomas, for your contributions. As always, have a wonderful weekend and aloha Friday. Thank you.